So this morning we are looking at Matthew chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 11. It's another one of these, another one of these stories that we, we live into uh, every few years uh, during Advent. Um, and so this is the one this morning. In fact, the Pope tweeted about it this morning. If you want to go check that out, see what he has to say. Um, anyway, Matthew chapter 11, 1 through uh, 11. It's this curious little story um, that I find fascinating. Um, So, i got some things to say. Um, You'll find the words on the screen behind me. If you've got them with you, you can follow along that way. But before we do that, let's pray. Oh God, as we open open this book, your word, we pray that, that your spirit would would open our hearts and minds and that we would open our ears so that we, we would be ready to, to hear a word from you, however it is that that, that happens. Um, we just ask for you to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. So after Jesus finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, John the Baptist, we're talking about, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect somebody else? All of a sudden, John the Baptist is confused about Jesus. It's like, what's going on? I find that fascinating. Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd again. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out there to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are kings, are in kings' palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Oh, yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. We will go that far. Isn't that a weird story, a fascinating story, an interesting story? John the Baptist? Really? John the Baptist is questioning who Jesus is because of the things that he's doing when he heard of his deeds. He's like, I got to send some of my people over there to be like, are you the one who was to come? Like, are you the real deal? Are you the one who was promised to ransom captive Israel? Or, or should we be waiting for somebody else? Because the things that we thought were going to happen aren't happening. So what's going on here? Ah, oh, it's a fascinating story. So we're going to get into it by playing a game. Okay? Here's the game. Uh, this is how it's going to work. I'm going to... I'm going to describe a person or a character, or I'm going to use some words that they usually use, um, and then you're going to, when you hear that, you're just going to say who you think it is, okay? And let's not be shy 
Uh, if you, I tried to pick easy ones that most of us uh, from all generations, uh, hopefully, uh, there are a few that some young kids probably won't know, um, but I'm counting on the seasoned veterans in the room to, to, to come to the plate and swing hard, okay? Um, so when you hear the, the phrase or description, I want, you to, I want you to yell out who it is, okay? Here's, here's the first one. <clears throat> Yabba-dabba-doo! Fred Flintstone. Yeah, you got it. Y'all got it. Okay, now I got to remember which ones I did here. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, what's up, Doc? <laughs> you are way into this. You're like leaning forward. Okay, here's the next one. Okay. Abadi, abadi, abadi. That's all, folks. Yes, that was terrible. That was not. That was not very good. Okay, here's here's okay. Seasoned veterans, old people is what I'm saying there. Um, so, Dad. <laughs> no. All right. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, go ahead. Make my day. Uh huh. Clint, Clint Eastwood. Dirty Harry. Clint Eastwood. Okay. Here's another one. I'll be back. Yes. Again, terrible impression, but not bad. Okay. This guy is faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap. You guys got that one right away. Okay. Here's a, here's a more recent one. I could do this all day. <laughs> That's in America. Very good. Okay, here's, here's one from my generation. Okay, this, this guy um, is a character on a show uh, that he played, and he lives in a van down by the river. Chris Farley. Chris, Chris Farley. Right. Motivational speaker, Matt Foley. Okay, I love it. So, you expect all those lines to be said by or to describe those, those people, right? It's sort of part of their gig, part of their act, part of who they are, part of their... Uh, part of how we recognize them, part of their very, very identity. Without those things, they'd be missing something, right? Like if you watched a whole episode and Bugs Bunny is on the screen and Bugs Bunny never says, ah, what's up, doc? You'd wonder whether or not the bunny on the screen was actually Bugs Bunny, right? Might be an imposter, somebody, somebody else, because all of those things we've learned, we know this is how you identify those characters, right? Now, the reason I bring that up is because this little story about John the Baptist, he's curious, he's questioning, he's wondering something about the identity of the Messiah, of Jesus, curious about the identifying marks of the one who was to come. In verse 2, he says, when John heard in prison, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples. So he's like, y'all got to go confirm this for me because I'm a little bit confused. Are you the one who was to come or are we supposed to be watching for somebody else? Because the things that we thought were going to happen aren't 
happening. That's the implication there. Now, immediately, we should find this to be a curious thing. We should find this to be interesting and fascinating because early on in the story of Jesus, we know that J the B, John the Baptist, is absolutely certain. He's totally clear on who Jesus is. My dad talked about this story a couple weeks ago. There's this fascinating little story when Mary, the mother of Jesus, is pregnant with Jesus and Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist, she goes and she sees her aunt Elizabeth. And when she reveals to Elizabeth that she's pregnant, Luke tells us that the baby, John the Baptist, in Elizabeth's womb, leaped for joy. Leaped. Like, even in the womb, John the Baptist was pretty clear about who Jesus was. A little later on in the story of Jesus, John is down by the river. Not living in a van down by the river, but he's down by the river. And what's funny about that, if he were to come today, he might actually be living in a van down by the river wearing some funky clothes. That might be how he does it today. But anyway, he's down by the river. He's baptizing people. There were streams of people who were coming to him who wanted to turn their lives over to the divine, right? Then Jesus shows up on the banks of the Jordan and he's like, John, I want you to baptize me. And John is stunned. He's like, you, 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 I should be baptized by you, he says. And yet, you come to me? Like, it doesn't make sense because he's clear about who Jesus is. He's like, I'm not worthy to do this. I'm not worthy to baptize the Messiah. And Jesus is like, dude, just go with it. You'll understand in a minute. So he does. He baptizes Jesus in the Jordan. And when Jesus comes up out of the water, suddenly the heavens open up and the Spirit of God descends on Jesus looking like a dove. And then a voice comes from heaven. This is my Son, my Beloved. With Him I am well pleased. Right? Pretty cool, huh? Pretty cool. Pretty pretty. Pretty obvious indication of who Jesus is. Pretty obvious confirmation of the identity of Jesus. This is the one who was to come. So John leapt in his mother's womb when, interest, when, when introduced to baby Jesus, right? Leapt in his mother's womb. He was there at the baptism of Jesus. So John the Baptist should know by now that Jesus is clearly the Messiah, the one who was to come, the one who would ransom captive Israel, right? So what gives? Why, why is John questioning things here? Why is, why is he doubting? Why does he seem to be entering into a period of, 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 of wondering right? where he doesn't quite understand what's going on here? Why does he send a delegation of his, his disciples to ask if Jesus is the one or if they should be waiting for another one? Well, it turns out that Jesus may, have not been, may not have been exactly the kind of guy that John the Baptist was expecting. Jesus may not have been the kind of guy that maybe even the whole nation of Israel thought would be coming. He, he wasn't doing the kinds of things that they thought their Messiah, their Savior, would be doing. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read a little bit from back in Matthew chapter 3. The scene is a worship service. Pastor John the Baptist is there. He's on the banks of the Jordan River again. And after he baptizes some of the crowd, he notices that some religious experts have come. 
And this is what he says. He preaches like this fiery sermon. He like gets all up in their grill. He says this. He said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce fruit, good fruit, will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork will be in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That's what they were waiting for. That's the kind of Messiah they wanted. That's the kind of Messiah, the kind of Savior that they were expecting. That's the kind of fire and brimstone they thought would identify the one who was to come. Clear the world of all the unrighteous ones. Burn away the chaff. Get rid of all the sinners. Come in here, overthrow the Roman Empire, and inaugurate God's kingdom. Now you know why John the Baptist was so confused. Right? Here he is. He's, he, this is part of their tradition. This is part of what we grew up with. This is part of what, what he learned. This is part of what, what was handed to him. This is what the Messiah is going to look like. And then, and then here he is. He's sitting in prison. He's still, which, and he hears the reports about Jesus. But in his mind, if he's still in prison, then that means the Roman Empire is still very much in power and where's this kingdom of God stuff that was supposed to come? Why isn't Rome gone? Where's the fire? Where's all the identifying marks of their Savior? So John sends a, de a delegation of disciples to say, are you the one who was to come or not? Should we be waiting for somebody else? One that more fits more in line with, with, with what I've been taught, with what tradition has been given to me. And Jesus answers the question. He says, now go tell John what you see and hear. Go tell him. And then, and this is the cool part, he actually quotes Isaiah 35. He says this, The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. In other words, Messiah is going to do some works. The Messiah will perform some miracles. But John's going to have to start deconstructing what he'd been handed. He's going to start having to, to, to think differently about the tradition that he's been given. Because in reality, true messianic power isn't in fiery judgment. Turns out that, that true messianic power isn't in political revolution. Turns out that the true messianic power isn't in a military coup. It turns out that true messianic power isn't in, in violent insurrection against the government on behalf of the divine. It turns out that true messianic power seems to be in the small, individual acts of healing and restoration that transform the lives of people in the world that nobody else seems to care about. The blind receive sight. 
the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. That's the Messiah. That's the Savior of the world. People were expecting a military blitz on Rome. Instead, Instead, they get a gentle traveling preacher who healed and cared for and loved the most obscure people on the planet. Nobody expected that. No one saw that coming. Isn't that just like God, though? And when you really think about it, I mean, God almost always comes to us in ways that we're not, we don't see it coming. It's like we don't, it comes in unexpected ways. Jesus himself came in an unexpected way. A vulnerable baby, a gentle teacher, a radical lover, and friend of people in the world that we're not supposed to be friends with. He's the unexpected Savior. I mean, read the Old Testament, though. Kind of makes sense. Kind of makes sense that Jesus would, would come in an unexpected way because, because God has been dealing with us human beings in unexpected ways ever since he, he formed his people out of, out of Abram and Sarai. Two barren old codgers pushing 100 years old. Think about that. Why would God change the way God comes to us? He's the unexpected Savior coming to us in unexpected ways. I remember 15 years ago. This was significant to me because it was the first time um, I'd experienced the loss of someone, someone close to me. Uh, my grandfather, my dad's dad, um, was dying of cancer. Um, and I remember praying hard. Um, I remember praying really hard that God would show up for him. That God would, would heal him. That God would, would show up for our family, for my grandfather, to, to take away my grandpa's pain, to make him whole again, uh, to strengthen his muscles, to, um, to keep his heart beating in his chest. Because it just seemed too soon. Like, I didn't want to lose my grandpa. But that didn't happen. My grandfather died. But Jesus still showed up. Jesus still showed up for my grandfather in those last weeks in ways I didn't expect. I want to share with you a, a thing my, my Uncle Marlon wrote. Um, this is, about, this is an experience that he had less than a week before his dad died. This is the story my Uncle Marlon wrote on his blog. I want to read it to you. He said, My dad said this while we were watching the Bears and Eagles play football. My dad and I both love cars and, I, and love to talk about them. Dad went with me when I bought my first car, a 1959 Chevy Impala. Remember those big fins? I wanted that car so badly, but it cost $200 more than I could afford. Dad said to the dealer, tell you what, you pay $100, I'll pay $100, and the boy will have his car. 
And the dealer said, fair enough. And I have my first car. You love those Buicks, don't you, Dad? Best ride on the road, Buicks. American made, too. I don't know about that, Dad, my uncle said. Buicks are made in America, he insisted. No, I mean about Buicks being the best ride on the road. I don't know about Buicks being the best ride on the road. Don't argue cars with a dying man, he said. That's what he said. Don't argue cars with a dying man. My uncle laughed. You think you get to win every argument now because you're dying? Yeah, he said, I think that's right. Okay then, my uncle said. Okay then, he said. Buick's got the best ride on the road. No doubt about it, my uncle said. He reached up, adjusted the oxygen tube fitting into his nostrils, looked over at me and turned up the sides of his mouth in the tiniest of smiles. Love those Buicks, he said. Now, less than a week later, you'd expect, you'd expect a, a dying man might be afraid. You'd expect a dying man might be nervous. You'd expect a, a dying man might be angry. You'd, you'd expect a dying man might, might be filled with, with a, a kind of bitterness that can overcome you, especially my grandpa, if you knew him. Instead, I believe Jesus showed up. Didn't heal his body. Didn't take away the pain. But Jesus showed up. And my grandpa was, was able to joke about dying. And even sort of wore his impending death as an as a honor badge on his sleeve. Don't argue cars with a dying man. You think you get to win every argument now that you're dying? Yeah, I think that's right. <clears throat> Jesus came to him, just not in the way I wanted, not in the way that I expected. And someday I hope, I hope he comes to me in that way. Here's the deal. I don't know what you need today. I don't know, I don't know what it is you're struggling with. And if you don't think you need anything right now or, or you're not struggling with anything right now, um, that's coming probably soon. So I don't know if you're struggling with some sort of, I don't know, pattern of behavior or addiction that you just can't get beyond. You just can't break free from it. I don't know if you're, if you're struggling with relational issues with, with your family or with friends. I don't know if you're struggling with, with sickness. I don't know if you're struggling with, with your job, with what you do for a living, or with big life questions like, why am I here? Does anybody care about me? I don't know if you're struggling with, with issues of faith. You know, what do I believe anymore? What do I believe about the Bible? What do I believe about God? You look at the world and you, you're struggling with, what is God up to in the world? Things just seem to be falling apart. I don't I don't know what you're struggling with. It could be any number of those things. I don't know when God's going to show up, but God's going to show up. God always shows up. God always draws near. 
God always draws near, especially to the people in this world who are, who are some of the most obscure people on the planet. And when you think about it, most of us are pretty, pretty obscure on the world stage. God always shows up. You can expect that God will show up. But it might not be in, in a way that you can exactly imagine right now. It might be in a way that you don't see coming. It might be in a way that's, that's unexpected. So, so pay attention. Stay awake. Keep watching. Keep praying. Don't ever stop looking because God is coming. God promised that he'd show up. Watch for it. Let's pray.